Welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast from the BMJ where we tackle the everyday challenges of being a GP. I'm Tom Nolan, a GP and a clinical editor at the BMJ. Today's episode of Deep Breath In is about how to be a greener GP. I'll be talking to GPs Fran Kundil and Tamsin Ellis, who will talk us through their tips for environmentally sustainable practice. But to help me introduce that, I brought along someone from the BMJ officers, and that's the BMJ Sustainability Fellow, Florence Wedmore. Hi, Flo. Hi, Tom. Nice to be here. I'm... It's great to have you. Yeah, I don't have my usual uh, co-hosts, uh, Jenny and uh, Navjoy today, so it's great to have you. And also to hear your expertise and views on, on, on this um, this subject. Tell, tell us more about your, your role at the BMJ. Yeah, so I've, um, I'm just coming to the end of a year at the BMJ, actually, um, where I've been kind of the sustainability fellow. So working with the editorial team on everything to do with climate change and health, but mainly actually focusing really on sustainable healthcare, environmentally sustainable healthcare, which is what the theme of today's podcast is. Um, and my background is I'm a, I'm a medical registrar um, in London and um, I've been interested in sustainable healthcare for a really long time. I've been trying to do it alongside my clinical practice for quite a few years. And you're coming to the end of the year and and uh, what, what are you going into next and how are you going to keep this going? So I'm going back to to being a, a medical registrar, so going back to actually to do IMT3 training, um, which will be fun. Uh, but I hope that I will be able to, I think that, that um, so I was part of a network um, at my trust. We had a big um, sustainability network of all different staff and um, kind of trying to do little projects um, as well as kind of lobby or sort of push our, our trust to kind of take the bigger actions and um, mm. so i definitely be getting involved with that team again um mm. and, well, and see what else comes up i think well that's going to come up a bit when i talked to um fran and tamsin about you know we got busy jobs you know the day job is busy and it's quite hard to find the time or, or motivation to to do things like this like to make changes for sustainable and be to be more sustainable um so yeah, we're going to talk a bit more about that in 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 a bit. And I think do you, do you cover this in your podcast? I think it's time for a, a, a plug for your your podcast series, which is uh, which has probably already been released by the time this comes out. So yeah, so I've been one of the things I've done at the BMJ is work with one of the other clinical editors, Lauren De, Lauren Defratus, um, and we've been um, working on a podcast about sustainable healthcare, so called Planet Centered Care. Um, and definitely, this is something that comes up: is the kind of challenge of um, balancing these things um, and fitting it in. And I think the thing that's kind of come through from quite a few of the people we've interviewed and the guests is is the power of just starting with something quite small that you can do alongside what you're doing. That that is a kind of a relatively easy win, you know. Um, and that can can be great for building momentum for getting people on board. Um, and the other thing that that I guess I've already kind of alluded to is that like working with others, like it's really, really hard to make change on your own, but actually there's loads of people who want to be mm. doing something about this. And it's quite easy to find some people to work with. And then obviously everything becomes a lot easier mm. once you're working with a few people who to help you out. Yeah. I guess a slightly more rewarding goal or a goal you can maybe <laughs> feel more good about than, I don't know, let's make lots of money or, or uh, you know, start a business. And or, or, I yeah, guess pe- yeah. people have different things that make, that they enjoy, don't they? But um, no, totally. I mean, we have a, we've done a whole episode about this, about how actually sustainable healthcare and kind of working towards it is a way of bringing joy to work and kind of way of motivating mm. people. Um, and definitely we had um, 
brilliant guest, um, a pharmacist, Tracy Lyons, talking about how you know she was sort of at the point where she might have quit being a pharmacist had she not found pharmacy declares or founded pharmacy declares and and kind of done loads mm. of things with them and and how much it had made her really enjoy her job again. Um, wow. Sure. Oh, okay. Well, where can people? How can people listen to this podcast? What's it called? Where do, where will it be available? Uh, so it's called Planet Centered Care. Um, and it will be available on all sort of, uh, podstry, podcast or your podcast apps um, on Spotify and um, on the BMJ website as well. You'll be able yes. to find a link to it. So you know you're a podcast host when you can say available wherever you get your podcast <laughs> from or wherever the, the, the phrases we hear we hear when we're listening to the podcast. Okay. Um, so then let's move on. The, the, what part of the work that like you mentioned earlier that you've been doing at the BMJ is a, is a new series Um which has been, which we call tangible actions for what's the end of the sentence? Sustainable, Sustainable healthcare. healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us more about that because um, I think that links to to what we're talking to Fran and Tamsin about in a moment. Theory behind it is it comes from my experience again of kind of being part of these networks before I came into this role and knowing that there's loads of people who want to be doing something like I, you know meeting people all the time who are really keen and and um, you know. There's something horrible about kind of if you engage at all with the problem of, of of the climate crisis, and then you don't feel like you have an outlet of something you can do. So, the idea behind this was to try and just show those things that people can do, the things which have a bit of an evidence base behind them. Some of these are small, some of these are larger, but the kind of real tangible actions that people can take, as as the title says. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting um, working with you on the the peer review side of it, and the kind of. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? We're, we we these all these articles have been peer reviewed, um, mm. but like you say, the evidence. Well, you know, what sort of evidence should we demand for these sorts of actions? It's actually an interesting question that's come up a bit. Is is so the the kind of gold standard, I guess, in in a um, looking at something from a sustainability point of view is what's called a life cycle assessment. So that's where you you look at um, everything. So let's say it's a life cycle assessment of a medication, you would look at all of the environmental impacts that medication has from the point where somebody is starting to manufacture it from whatever ingredients they have to the point where somebody is having to dispose of the packaging that you've used and everything in between. Um, And you kind of can do various sort of ways of of compiling that um, and come out with a carbon footprint, but often actually also like a water footprint and so on. and there's a, there's a kind of debate, I guess, going around about whether or not we need to life cycle, do a life cycle assessment for every single change we make. Um, and sometimes we probably do. And there's some kind of perverse things such as um, that's come up. So surgical trays, um, you think that if you take some instruments out of a, a surgical tray, so you're not having that aren't being used. Um, so you're not having to uh, put them in the sterilizer to autoclave them and sterilize them, then you'd be saving energy. But actually, if it doesn't save the number of slots in the machine once you kind of actually go and look at it then you're not saving any energy at all and and actually if you then need to open one of those as a single use then you've you've kind of wiped out your savings so occasionally you do find these things mm. where where actually having done the full life cycle assessment is really helpful but as i kind of alluded to that's quite a laborious process to do a life cycle assessment for every single you know, procedure or you know clinical pathway or you know everything mm. that goes into it um, and so sometimes we do use proxies and, and you know, sometimes you can kind of fairly safely assume that, you know, say if you are 
reducing somebody's appointments and they're not needing to travel three times to the hospital and they're only need to travel once mm. you're fairly sure that that's going to be having a carbon saving or you know um yeah if you're not doing a blood test you, you can be fairly sure that that unless there's some kind of hidden thing that's going to happen because you haven't done the blood test yeah. it's actually going to be more um carbon intensive you can be fairly sure that not doing that is yeah. having a carbon saving it's so just you, sometimes you, you don't know the exact size of that but whether that matters or not i don't know it's a, yeah. a debate okay. great yeah okay well i think we um it's time to to hear our five tips for environmentally sustainable practice from um two brilliant gps um i i spoke to them um a couple of weeks ago now uh and left feeling very energized and, and enthusiastic about uh, making some of these changes and um so shall we hear from them? Uh, it's Fran Kundil and Tamsin Ellis. Thank you, Flo. Thanks, Tom. Let's have a listen. Hi, I'm Tamsin Ellis. I'm a GP in London and I'm a director and co-chair of the National Greener Practice Group. And I also work with the um, Centre for Sustainable Healthcare. Great. Uh, well, thank you for, for, for talking to me today. And we've also got Fran. Hi, Fran. Hi there. I'm Fran Cundall. I'm a GP in Sheffield and I'm the chair of the South Yorkshire Greener Practice Group. Um, I'm also doing a fellowship this year where I'm trying to work on kind of making um, environmentally sustainable changes within our PCN and Sheffield wide. Excellent. Well, before we're going to do five tips to become a greener GP. But before before we do that, um, Tamsin, how did you get into this? You know, how do you get into this this field I suppose as a GP? So I don't think I have that exciting a story but essentially back in 2018 I'd started making a couple of changes getting a Bambi toothbrush and taking my keep cup around and then in 2019 when everything felt like it was kind of hitting the news and it was Greta Thunberg and XR and all these things happening I started to have a look at what was going on and where that sense of urgency was coming from and I didn't quite realise how scary it was so I basically got really scared from reading books and reading reports and I read online that you could do you know taking action would make you feel better so that's partly why I started and then what's kept me in it is actually just meeting amazing people and hopefully some of the things that we're going to give you advice about today so I started as a trainee and now I have some roles as part of my GP portfolio role to to do green changes great and, and has it helped you feel better yeah <laughs> ups and downs but overall overall yeah I definitely feel better I'm not in that kind of doom t- telling everyone I know that we're all going to die stage <laughs> of, of, of climate anxiety yeah. okay uh, and Fran what about you um, so similar to Tamsin, really, I kind of um, had started making some changes in my personal life. Um, and then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I actually had a new baby and um, I was kind of browsing things and I'd heard of Greener Practice and they, they made some fantastic webinars. Um, and I was just really inspired and motivated um, by the webinars. And I had a really poignant moment while sitting, feeding my baby, watching one of them, learning about how actually in my workplace, um, there are kind of changes I could make that have a direct effect um, on uh, kind of reducing the impact we have on the climate and, and improving um, environmental sustainability. And I kind of had that light bulb moment of, um, you know, I really want to make a change and I want to be on the right side of history for the sake of my kids, which is incredibly selfish, but more the future generations that we're going to leave the planet uh, for. Um, and then as I returned from maternity leave, I kind of looked, um, joined our local greener practice group, looked for roles that, again, like I could do in, in my work sphere and kind of make some changes in, in, in GP. Because... Um, 
you know, that's where I am a lot of days of the week. So I can make changes in my personal life, but actually, you know, you're in work quite a lot of days a week as well. So it's good mm. to make some changes there. Yeah, fantastic. And and so we're, we're going to talk about um, actually how we can become like greener practitioners or things we can do. I think a lot of a lot of what you read is we have to say like examining the problem it's like oh well you know we're not going to meet our targets for um whatever <laughs> you know every target you can think of and so i think this hopefully it'd be good to hear actually what can i do and i think there's there's um small things bigger things so let's shall we start make a start so um, tamsin maybe could you give us the first the first tip for becoming a, a greener gp Sure. So our first tip, and it's kind of evidence based as well, is just talking about it. So communicating about it is one of the most powerful things that we can do. And I think that can happen personally in your personal life. But at work, I I think one of the key things is not going in exactly what I did, go guns blazing of telling people what to do, because it just becomes very preachy very quickly. And it's more about really understanding what people care about, asking lots of questions and, and looking a little bit at those frustrations that we feel all the time. So often in practices that I go into and talk to people will say I've just had it the other day you know the, the radiator's on in my room and it's the middle of summer and so sometimes these kind of dual problems can be something that we can build on so our first thing is just really talking about it in an educational way but also understanding how you might motivate others to join you in making changes. Fantastic well what you, you said right at the start there that there's evidence for this what what is the evidence how can you really make, make, an, make an evidence-based case for this? So in terms of as, a, as an action, there's lots of work going on around communicating and that there's lots of places that are looking into that. And I was just recently listening to the Outrage and Optimism podcast that was saying almost we need to look at this narrative marketing of this because it's very easy to say the counter side. You know, people saying we're going to make you poorer and your home's colder and, you know, that there's all this negativity to it. And actually, if we switch the narrative around health, which is one of the reasons that I feel really passionate about it, is that we can improve people's lives. We can get people more active eating better nutritious food that all the things that come with helping our planet also are things that can benefit health and so the evidence is if if we get the if we get that messaging right we can really turn things into a more positive version and and that hope always brings people with you more than fear and doom yeah and i suppose we've got the evidence of a multi-billion pound kind of advertising and marketing industry to know that (laughs) that talking and messaging works Uh, Fran, how would you go into that conversation then? What, what? Well, I think, yeah, 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 go on. Give us some yeah, tips I think, on I that. think as, as Tamsin alluded to, a lot of it's about listening rather than talking, which as GPs mm. we're really good at, and <laughs> we're really trained to be active listeners. And it's amazing when you. So I've worked in a couple of practices and I've been into a couple of practices. When you talk to people and hear what their interests are, so one of our healthcare assistants came up to me the other day and was asking, I bike on an e-bike to work. Sheffield's very hilly, uh, so that's my excuse. And, um, you know, where did you get your e-bike from? Did you did you do that bike to work scheme? How did you get that loan for that month where you had it for free and then you could try it? And, you know, she, you know, having that conversation with her, just that one person and I was able to tell her what I'd done and what that did and then I shared on the, the team WhatsApp just in case anyone else was interested and have these bike surgeries in our local area and and it's kind of just talking to colleagues and you'd be amazed some people are really enthused in their private lives about what they're doing and this gp's made that change and and this pharmacist's doing this and um you know 
trying to encourage their kids to recycle more and all these other things so it's just kind of talking to people about <clears throat> what they're doing and like Tamsin said kind of building on what's already annoying people or getting to people or what they've done at home but might want to transfer to work um, and then with patients um, it's all about health and it should all be always be about patient health but a lot of the changes that we um, that are green, greener um, are, are in, for improving patient health um, so it doesn't you don't have to talk to patients or oh, this inhaler is more environmentally friendly well this inhaler will help control your asthma symptoms better um, so it's just having those conversations kind of on a daily basis with with patients and colleagues I was, I was just going to add to that briefly, if that's okay. I, I think the other thing, adding to what Fran's saying, is that with patients, so again, you can get accused of saying you're bringing this agenda in when we have so much to do already and that it's 10 minutes, it's such a short amount of time, but it's what GPs are doing anyway. So I often try and say, look at the things that we're doing successfully. We bring in things around um, you know, diet, lifestyle, all these things that are part of GP work anyway. So when I'm talking to people about sort of climate consultations to ha- try and bring these things in, you know, triggers for as- asthma like air pollution, it should be things that we're doing anyway, but we might not have kind of thought about it in a sustainable way. So, so I think the patient talking to patients can be really powerful in terms of bringing these things in. Okay, well, the number one then talking to talking to people is a great great start. Uh, what's number two? What's your second tip, uh, Fran? So our second tip was going to be take action and kind of following on from talking to people is start small and start from where people are at. So if someone comes to you like that healthcare assistant interested in possible active travel to work, you know, start with that, go with that, tell her about the bike loan, explain your route to work, you know, do that kind of thing. If one, I had a receptionist come to me, why do we have no recycling here? Okay, let's get some recycling bins, you know. The evidence is recycling is not going to answer, uh, be the answer to uh, climate change. But but that's something that's tangible and small, and they can start with. And it's just about making some changes. Um, as regards kind of actions for prescribers, um, what as we come on to later, you know, prescribing has a huge carbon footprint. Um, and so maybe actually things like that we're already doing. We all do QI projects. Could it be a sustainable QI project? Could you look at kind of um, you know your de-prescribing uh, uh, policy you know the, the ways that you do de-prescribing in your practice are you reviewing every patient on over 10 meds mm. that kind of thing which are good medicine they're, they're good clinical practice but they're also good for the environment um, we did um, interestingly in terms of kind of finding out what drives people so some people are more financially driven so there's been some recent studies um, by the Energy Savings Trust saying that small businesses, for example, practices could make about eight savings of 18 to 25% via energy and efficiency and behavioural shifts. So, you know, that's a huge amount of money that could be saved if that one person to you in the practices said, God, our energy bills have gone up by so much. You could say, right, you know, how could we write an energy plan so everyone's switching off light bulbs and switching off computers at the end of the day? How can we look into green energy providers or ask someone on the layer above us in primary care to look into that. So it's kind of just going with where people's energy is and, and building on that yep. and taking action in that area. Don't feel like you've got to do everything all at once, you know, clean sweep, we're going to be green from tomorrow. Um, but just, yeah, taking the actions that That's you it. feel um, um, I, uh, I, available I, to you. I and then like your point there about the money. I mean, it, the GP partners and the practice managers, I mean, they are, they are are there is a motivation to do things to save money perhaps over other things at times aren't there and that, that makes sense that uh, as I can say that as a partner used to be a partner um, yeah. yeah yeah 
and and it is a business and you know energy costs are going through the roof so you know uh, you know every little helps and if that's a motivating mm. factor then that's great it's a motivating factor but on the flip so, side the co-benefit uh, is do you say about you know, the person with the, the, the heating up high one of you said that a moment ago i mean that why is that still happening how, how obviously that is one example but i think that's up and down the country we're always like why is the heating on it's it's boiling hot in here and and um why can't we do more to to improve those what seems like very tangible and solvable problems yeah so i think in my i saw it i've seen it sort of from both ends so in my ics role i saw it in that kind of wider system of saying you know estates is a huge issue um kind of all these things that trickle down it's really difficult to change things at scale and the practice often say oh we need the icb to do this and then i say we need practices to do this and it's a back and forth mm. and just lately i've been working across my pcn so on a, across sort of Four practices and what's been really interesting coming out of that is how much you know people don't feel empowered to make these changes because it might be that you're run by different estates companies and so you can and can't do certain things but I think for the practice the things that you are in control of so the things of what you're buying in uh, some people for their energy bills not everybody but the, the things that you can be in control of are the things that can be hugely cost saving so things like the light bulbs there's often um, grants available as well so our practices locally got some grants and funding for LED light bulbs and what's happened locally in a practice I've been working with is operations manager has really taken this on and some of the things that had a bit of an upfront cost so she had to do things you know so to do some switching there was an upfront cost but over time it either neutralized or saved money because there's reduced reduction in waste or the behaviors shift a little a little bit um and i think it's that thing of bringing people with you so we talked about recycling not being the answer but it's very visible and people often can feel oh well i've done that we've got recycling in we've got glass milk bottles we've got fair trade tea and coffee what else is there to do and that's what i've seen is that you might start with those smaller estates issues and then it becomes about the prescribing about the clinical decision making about over-ordering tests the things that all have these carbon footprints but but it needs to work from both sides so in Cornwall they've done a big project around the the printers for example and trying to reduce paper and they've saved thousands of pounds there to but there is a bit of an upfront cost associated when I've worked with practice managers we did a forum locally and they're really lots of them are sort of really on board with this but needing the partners to get behind the fact there may be some upfront costs yeah and what about when 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 you okay so you've done those initial things to kind of activate everybody uh and then i suppose maybe you want to do something slightly more ambitious um that there's a big kind of hurdle there isn't there about well how do i actually go about this so where, where would you look to you know get some help or framework i suppose to do a proper sort of quality improvement project so, so there's lots of resources available. Um, I'd say if you're thinking quality improvement, SUSQI, so Sustainable QI, there's a whole website. They're adding to it all the time, created by the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare. It's really good for trainees if you have trainees in the practice. Um, of course, there's Greener Practice, so you can join us. We have local groups and national group groups, including a, a specific special interest QI group. So that's really good places. We don't want to reinvent the wheel and we want to keep people knowing what's going on. And the third thing I'd point to, and hopefully we can put all these in the show, notes is the green impact for health toolkit lots of practices use that it's free to sign up to it's got so many projects it can feel really overwhelming which is why we're saying take action and start small is that you can get a couple of those projects it's, it's audible data you can win prizes um and we're our pcn sort of going for bronze and silver at the moment so we're trying to tick off all the things that we can do that are those easy wins on there so those are the sort of places that i'd go to initially for some support and help um to do this do this work 
I think I think the other thing I'd add to that, um, echoing the websites Tamsin said, is is try and find someone else who's maybe interested in your area. And by that I maybe mean your town, city, whatever. It doesn't have to be in your practice, but. Um, as Tamsin mentioned, there is a greener practice network of, of primary healthcare um, uh, clinicians and, and non-clinicians working across the country, um, and they can link you up with other people in the area who've maybe done some changes or made some changes or tried this or tried that, um, because it, it can be quite lonely at times, being the only one in your practice maybe asking for these things, but as evidenced, you know, there are, as evidenced by, by the network that's grown exponentially since um, it was started a few years ago, um, there are others wanting to do this work, wanting inspiration, wanting to hear what you've done and just repeating it because who needs to be making up new ways of doing things when they're already being done somewhere else? Um, so yeah, that would be my other tip is kind of um, try and find out if in your area there's other people doing similar stuff or wanting to do similar stuff. Okay, so let's go move on to, to tip number three, Tamsin. So I think this one's really important, particularly if you're working in commissioning or you're kind of thinking about strategically how to do this, is reframing what sustainability is. So you may have people listening to this who are thinking, this, this is just another thing, we don't need to do it. And what I'd say is that if you think about for sustainability as core to the work that we're doing, what we're aiming to achieve is high quality, low carbon care. And the way we can do that is applying the four principles that the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare have have developed, um, which is prevention, um, patient empowerment or patient self-care, lean service delivery and low carbon alternatives, which might all sound a bit kind of management speak. So I think a good example of this is the high quality, low carbon asthma toolkit that Greener Practice worked on. We got a grant to do it. It's really kind of off the shelf um, you know, process that you can you can use, and we know it's been successful because I think the latest is we've had sort of twenty five thousand people who've been on the website to have a look at it, and so, uh, so respiratory is a good way of breaking that down. So prevention might be those things like smoking cessation or looking at triggers. Self self care or empowerment might be understanding your inhalers and how to use them. Um, that kind of lean service might be looking at where can you refer people, how can you do this, how are the prescriptions coming in, and the low carbon alternatives might be the switching inhalers which people have been doing. So I think if you're thinking about it as embedded, I've just recently had a conversation, there's a big long-term condition review service that's happening locally and saying people saying, well, we'll just add it in as an extra slide. And like, no, well, it's actually saying these holistic things that you're trying to achieve in long-term condition care are all sustainable. So it's sort of celebrating what we do best as GPs as being person-centred, having shared decision-making, all these things that, that reduce the burden on healthcare are, are what sustainability is at its heart. So I think that you can think about it recycling and all these projects but in terms of health that's that's what it's about really is reframing it as something that comes into all parts of what we do in our jobs um i think it took me a while to to realize that this wasn't about just recycling and putting recycling bins in because i think that is that a common there must be a common misconception or you know well-meaning idea but actually you're saying we need to think about this in a completely different way I think I think you're right, Tom. But there's also something to be said for that because maybe the recycling is where you started, and then and then you thought, oh right, yes, you know that's great. We're now recycling stuff. Like, what else can I do? And then you think, oh right, maybe with my QI project this year, I might do a, a, a sustainable QI project and look at you know whatever it, whatever area it is you, you seem to look at. But I think I think it's not to belittle the recycling because it's, okay, you yeah. know you've got to start somewhere and that's sure. what it's all about it's not saying to people right as of tomorrow you need to go and audit all your asthma prescriptions and change them all to this um but it but like tamsin said it's just building it into your everyday work so it's not an added on extra but the, yeah. the way you're working just 
you know so how do we do that then that the the reframing bit like it feels like that's something i need to go and like learn about or like do some learning modules or something to really kind of get that into my brain a a little bit more is that is that fair so the yeah, I, th- I think it took me a while. And like Fran said, I-, I sort of started with seeing a picture of all the waste created by GP surgery. So for me, it started with waste. I think the thing that keeps me in this is that I just really think it's central to what a lot of the frustrations for me at work are. That, you know, we've got so limited time that patients have all this need and that we can think about this this reframing. So ways that you can do that is the RCGP have a series of, of learning modules that are accessible e-learning modules. Um, e-learning for Health also has a learning module. And there's just so much information on the Greener Practice website I'd really recommend having a look um, we spent a lot of time going through that and we have medical students helping us so the that kind of is, is a sort of a place it's meant to be sort of resource sharing um, and the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare have uh, some courses that they run which are, has a specific primary care one but also has a network where they're trying to collate resources that are searchable so case studies or things that people have done because there is lots of these things happening in the realms and I, and I think it's, it's not to feel overwhelmed because it might be that you want to just look at a certain part of it because you know for some people inhalers was the big thing last year when we had the targets in England that got people thinking about this slightly differently so I think that's why narrative is so important here because if we get the stories of you know just recently it's been so hot hasn't it and I've seen people coming in with falls and and thinking of you know just connecting the dots of what's happening here that we're seeing rising temperatures that that's having an impact on health what can we do to mitigate for that what can we do to adapt to that it can take you off into all different ways and I think we're curious as GPs so I, I think that's that's the starting point for me is is let being led by what you're interested in as well. It just makes me think also about the, the consultation, you know, like, I guess probably patients don't want the GP just sort of preaching to them about the environment, but yeah, I guess you can reframe things within the consultation to, um, to for the patient's benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And the more I recognise this as something, the more I've seen it. So just a couple of examples recently, I was seeing a small child with asthma and I was talking to his mum about about triggers and what was happening. And I mentioned that we live in a really polluted part of London. And she said, oh, no, it won't be that. We live on a quiet street. And there's a, a website that you can go to called Address Pollution where you can put your postcode in. And I showed her on the screen and it shows a picture and her jaw literally dropped. She had no idea. And so it can sometimes make you feel a bit scared, but there are... There there's lots of we did a project recently with air pollution where we we gave people actions for how you can get into cleaner spaces and and that you know out in parks and things and then that connects with that active travel side of things about cycling or walking or getting to school the majority of air pollution for children is on the school run so it kind of then you can get into more conversations about to, how to also manage health and to do things that are health behaviors that are beneficial for patients and the planet i i agree with tamsin as well sometimes Maybe you don't lead with the sustainability aspect, but it kind of gets mentioned along the way, along with the other co-benefits. Um, one of the things we've been trying to do in our practice is encourage recycling um, and returning inhalers and unused and wanted medications to the pharmacies. And I just usually have it as a throwaway line at the end of my consultation. I'm going to try you on this new inhaler. If you could take your unused ones back to the chemist because they can dispose of them uh, in a more environmentally uh, friendly way. And most patients are like, oh yeah, of course, no problem. Like, I didn't know that. 
that's great thank you like they don't they're not affronted by it i'm not asking them to make a major change i'm just saying when you next go to pick up these inhalers please take your old ones back and um, so like tamsin said sometimes you don't lead with it um and interestingly i was having a consultation with um she's a grandparent but we were talking about something completely different and i can't remember how we got onto the topic of inhalers and she was like oh no i, I didn't know they, they should be you know brought to the pharmacy to recycle them so yeah my, my grandchild has inhalers and next time i go to pick up my prescriptions i'll take their inhalers back and it was just a really nice chat and it was just kind of natural and part of the conversation rather than me being like you know you are you, you must return these inhalers you know preachy preachy that kind of thing so it's just kind of building it in um as and when it kind of fits into the conversations okay let's go to, to tip number four for being a Karina gp friend so um, as a clinician, um, a prescribing clinician, the biggest, uh, your personal biggest carbon impact will be from your prescriptions. Um, obviously, prescriptions um, need to be created, made, packaged, driven across the country, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so the carbon footprint of prescriptions is huge. So prescribing less and de-prescribing more is our um, tip. Um, and I got a stat on this. So the NHS is a systems responsible for about four to five percent of UK in total carbon emissions. Um, and there was some research done um, that, that one of the largest single carbon impacts in healthcare is inhalers. And if um, just switched is 10% of metered dose inhalers to um, a more environmentally friendly alternative, it could save up to 58 kilotons of carbon, which doesn't mean a lot, but 8.2 million pounds for the NHS annually, um, which is huge. Um, but it's not just about inhalers, it's about all medications. It's about looking at whether, you know, for chronic pain, does the patient need another painkiller or are there kind of alternatives? Is there any kind of physical activity or mental health support? Um, are there any kind of local green spaces or, or community groups that, you know, they could access to help, help them with that chronic pain? Um, with patients, when I'm talking about mental health, I always mention diet, exercise, getting out in green spaces, whether it's, you know, standing on your doorstep, if you're lucky to be able to see a green space from your house, whether it's, you know, going to a local park, um, instead of possibly upping their antidepressant and or starting them, or in conjunction with that, it's not to demonize medications. Um, and then it's for your patients on multiple medications, especially ones with interactions or, um, you know, more complex medications, is do they need to still be on them? And do they need to still be on them at that dose? And could we look of ways of reducing for their health and to reduce risk of falls and reduce risk of complications and all those kind of things. Um, a really neat little thing we did at work recently was um, the iron dosing change. It was super simple. Iron dosing change went from three times a day to one time a day. Um, we had loads of patients still on three times a day. We had a medical student in. They did as an audit. We switched them all to one times a day. Uh, iron prescriptions as appropriate, sent them a text. And, you know, if you were going to calculate the carbon footprint of that, I'm sure it would be I don't even know the numbers, but, you know, it'd be great. But that's actually not about the carbon footprint. It's about what's best for the patient because they don't need to be on it three times a day. Um, but the kind of co-benefit is is far less medication being prescribed and far less medication being wasted because uh, we know it's only a certain percentage of medications that we prescribe that are actually taken um, in the way that they're prescribed. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of looking at more medication and, and thinking before you prescribe, is it needed? Is it needed on a repeat? you know, that kind of thing and other alternatives to prescribing. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's medication, which take, well, it takes time, doesn't it, to, to do that? It probably takes more, almost like more effort, uh, I suppose. But um, I wonder if that investigations isn't is another side to this and, and the more you investigate, probably the more you prescribe. Um, do, do we need to think about that as well? 
so, so I think for me, all of this comes down to that shared care, which which we all are trying to achieve with patients to make informed choices. And I think as GPs, it's sort of the frustrations of it, isn't it? Is that you, you order a load of tests and then you get back all these like random abnormalities that you don't have to try and work out what you're going to do. Yeah. So I think in terms of that right test, right time, um, they, there is an Australian study that looks at the specific carbon footprints of um, test results. And it is when you add it all up, it can be a significant amount of carbon. So, but again, it comes back to the fact that why are we investigating? Is it going to cause more harm by over-investigating? Mm-hmm. The overdiagnosis on group, overdiagnosis group on the RCGP has some really helpful information. Another thing that I often point people to, and it's, it's it's sort of pointed to on the toolkit as well, is the Choosing Wisely campaign and trying to work with patients to help make those decisions about investigating. Um, I just recently had a chat with someone yesterday about PSA testing and you know what it meant, and I think it's so that we're, we're ma- ma- help people make informed decisions and with all of this it it builds into the frustrations as as a GP you know we were talking about medicines and we know that people aren't taking them as they're prescribed so I got recently someone said oh have you ever asked the question twice you know say I'm going to prescribe the medication and then revisit it and say I'm going to prescribe the medication are you going to take it and again just a few days ago I I was going to talk about taking a nasal spray for someone who was complaining of symptoms and and I said are you going to take it and he said no (laughs) so so it's kind of trying to trying to work with patients and we know that there's 300 million pounds lost in terms of medicine wastage Um, I'm sure again lots of people listening will have had that experience of going on a home visit opening up the cupboard and it's just full of things so a lot of this I think is just a little bit common sense as well of saying we we follow all these guidelines but then actually having that conversation breaking it down with the patient in terms of tests and medications so that we are doing the right decision for them at the right time with the right medication as appropriate and and also reviewing you know again it's really hard when we're time poor but you put someone on medication then you look sort of 10 years later why they've still got that antihistamine on the repeat and it's from like one season of hay fever 10 years ago so it's it's trying to to work with people to understand when they need to request their medication and if they're going to take it Uh, so let's go with our final point what's what's point five so our point five is to know your area and know what resources are available to you. So we've mentioned a few of them already, but I just want to revisit the fact that we were brought together through Greener Practice and it's a really great place to start. It's a very welcoming community. We have 34 groups across the UK in England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. So hopefully there's a local group near you and it's where you can connect up with people. You can find out who else is interested. We mentioned about sometimes feeling a bit lonely in this space and it's certainly helped me right from you know me talking about my climate anxiety that it's helped me kind of to to help help with that um, and alongside that knowing what what you can find out locally so I mentioned about the air pollution and finding out where your postcode is people often respond to sort of that hyper local information so you know we don't want to be talking about polar bears and rising sea levels because people don't really feel that unless maybe you're in an area affected by flooding a lot it's it's saying you know I just recently mapped out all the parks around my GP surgery because I thought actually patients come and say oh well, I can't get to a green space or really urban area and so I can now show them a poster that says well actually there's 10 parks just within a mile of this you know that you can kind of try and find things that are close by um, and then alongside those kind of 
you know, networks. We also have the special interest groups. Um, there's an RCGP group of people working on climate. There's the kind of an education group as part of Greener Practice. There's there's lots of information out there. It's just trying to work out where to start. So my, I mean, I know I've got a bit of a biased opinion, but my first point would be to, to join up with Greener Practice and, and meet other people and, and find out what's happening already in your area. Sounds like a good um, appraisal um, thing, doesn't it? Like... One of my objectives is to join a greener practice and meet some local people. Would that be a good one? That's a smart objective. So, so my, my appraisal, I've got mine coming up and we now go to Hampstead Heath and do a walking appraisal oh. and we um, started doing kind of green things as part of it and there is a whole load of things happening around green appraisals and saying whether we could try and, you know, because it's so much is about well-being now, isn't it? So mm. trying to say how do we incorporate this into how we are as GPs and just from a personal point of view I started cold water swimming because of this I joined a community garden because of this um, I think it's made my life better and um, obviously there's there's things that affect people's time to be able to do that but but it certainly could part come into elements of that as a gp as well i think i think mentioning it on your appraisal is brilliant because it's it's very smart it's highly achievable um, and i was going to say the other benefits of of um joining a local group in terms of um kind of for patient benefit and clinical is just finding out what's out there locally so um, a bit like um tamsin was saying one of our med students did a great map of our local green spaces that we can share via text to patients um, i shared that with another local practice to us because the parks are still local to them um there's a there was a local bike hub uh, sessions going on where you could drop in and get your bike um uh uh, like I know teed for a bike, you know, kind of, um, and I shared that information. Um, so well, we have like a local um, South Yorkshire WhatsApp group and email group. And so it's it's knowing about those things and also being able to mention them to patients. So knowing about community gardens, knowing about places that you can resort, um, re- uh, refer patients for. Um, we have like a drop-in bike session with um, those uh, accessible bikes. So there's kind of those big trikes and um, arm powered bikes and that kind of thing that just started up in a local park so it's letting patients know that that's there and so yeah there's a lot of resource to be shared locally that is applicable to you as a GP but then also that you can pass on to patients Um, and, and the other thing I think which kind of was alluded to there was that you know GP is a stressful job at times and it's high pressured and sometimes it can just be really nice doing something else and doing kind of being with other people or talking to other people or finding out about things um, that are kind of fulfilling and hopeful and fun um, and, and so that that's kind of a co-benefit for, for, for the GPs in terms of like a community uh, building a community feel of people are kind of wanting to do similar work and or explore it and or you know are new to it and have, all they've thought about is putting a recycling bin in reception it you know it's all all are welcome and and um you know it's a real community feel so I think there's benefits kind of for you as a GP in finding out what's going on in your local area kind of sustainability wise but also to pass on to patients in terms of um, places and things they can access. I I just wanted to mention because I think lots of people will be listening to this thing this all sounds great but I've got no time and no funding to do this and there are some areas leading in this so I think the Gloucestershire area has had a huge amount of funding where they've worked with lots of practices there's some sort of you know I've got my PCM role from a bit of funding 
Cornwall's doing a big project with a project manager. So there is something about funding this work to be done because it, you can get a lot further if you have protected time. I started this off as a as a newly qualified GP on a sort of spin first five fellowship and that gave me one day a week to work on this and it really helped me gather momentum so I think there is something here as well about looking in your area as to where the funding might come from and that sometimes can be various pots of money that come and go but but I think it's kind of working or, or working towards mentioning this to people locally who might be commissioning these things or approaching things to say we, we need the funding to do this as well. Yeah, I'd like to um, repeat or kind of echo what, what Tamsin said. So I'm doing a one-day-a-week fellowship through our local training hub um, for one year, and that's th- what I'm doing with my day is sustainability work because, like Tamsin said, this you know I have childcare fees. I, I I either work or have my young children with me, so it's not possible for me to do this in my time off because I don't have time off. So getting funded roles um, is essential, but they are out there and. Um, you do kind of have to seek them but certainly kind of within greener practice networks that they're, they're always put on there or advertised or people can mention it and um there is a lot of kind of scope and it's definitely increasing um in terms of kind of funded roles to do this yeah and i guess um if you do have to make us a business case for, for for your funding then there is one to be made isn't there about you know this all ties in with um yeah, I can't remember what you said. The high value, so lower lower resource or low cost healthcare, something like that. Yeah, high high quality low carbon. Thank you. <laughs> um, brilliant. Well, I'm feeling very um, much more optimistic than I did um, half an hour ago uh, about the world. But um, what what would you say just to round things off? What would your take home message, or if you could um, give listeners the one thing to take away uh, about greener greener practice? So I suppose one thing that I think we should have mentioned, which may be something to to put in there as a sort of take home message is also about inequalities, because we know those people who are living in the poorer sections of society, are the ones who are going to be impacted most by changes like heat and um, and things that come with sort of these social deprivation factors that are affected by the climate. Um, and that actually f- for all of our patients, my take home is that they, you know, these things for me, mean that we are improving people's health and that we are helping people live healthier lives and being in greener spaces and cleaner air and in things that would make people's lives better so i would say just go out and try and find where you fit into that and that might be something really small and it might just be a, a very small project in your practice um but just starting somewhere often can give you the momentum to to keep doing things things will fail along the way but but i found that meeting people connecting with people joining up into these networks has really helped fulfill in a way parts of my job that I found difficult before and Fran any and that that seems to cover it but anything to add I was going to say I wrote I wrote a little a little sentence for this because I wanted to think about it beforehand. It's basically what just Tamsin just said. So I just thought, you know, sustainable. Yeah, she stole my thunder. Um, sustainable healthcare is just about improving patients' health. So just do it. Whatever you're considering or thinking about changing, just start because no action is too small to make a difference. Um, and I guess the fact that we're both saying the same thing is actually quite a quite a, a compliment to us both because actually you know that is what it's about it's about improving patient health um in whichever way you feel you can make a start and just getting started and, and finding some like-minded people to go with you Well, I found that conversation with Flo and with Fran and Tamsin really energising. And I'm thinking about what I can do in my practice. 
If you're feeling the same way, have a look at the articles we mentioned at the beginning and Florence's podcast, Planet Centred Care, which we'll add links to the podcast page for. Uh, There's also a new series about to be launched in the BMJ called Sustainable Practice, which will also give you lots of ideas. And hopefully between them, you'll have plenty of ideas to get going with. That's it for this episode of Deep Breath In, but we'll be back soon with a look at cancer screening. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out. I'm Tom Nolan. Thanks for listening.